Welcome to the Man Clan Podcast. This is the summer series 2021 where we're looking at the story from the Arthurian legends, The Fisher King, and this is episode four. Thanks for joining me. I hope you find the thoughts and insights in this portion of the story that we're looking at today to be helpful for wherever you are at in your life as a man. So join me as I read the section of the story that we're currently in, in The Fisher King. He was found in the morning by a patrol of his father's and brought to the castle, but the wound would not heal. Infected and terribly burned, it festered and resisted all efforts by the court physician to heal it. In time, the boy was crippled, nearly an invalid, and no longer could ride the fields and woods of his kingdom. Soon he began to complain that he was cold all the time and couldn't get warm even when sitting in front of the roaring fire in the great hall. He was therefore bound to his court and castle, immersed in constant arguments, negotiations, and costly conversations with business and government men and women who came and went in the court. His life became filled with the business of the kingdom. No longer could he go on his long, solitary rides in the woods, nor relax in the glens and the locks among the hills. After several years, his aging father stepped down and and the prince became the king. But his wound still would not heal, and his strength evaporated with his inactivity. His kingdom also fell into waste. The crops stopped growing. Disease decimated his great herds of sheep and goats. The cattle would not breed, and even the wildlife disappeared. It seemed that the curse visited upon the king had also fallen upon the land. The only activity that seemed to give the king peace was time that he spent fishing in the lakes and streams close to the castle. Eventually, traders would set out for the kingdom following the same roads as before and find themselves arriving in some other region of the land. It seemed that the kingdom no longer existed within normal time or place, as though the earth itself had given up the kingdom and her wounded king to heaven or hell. So that's the portion of the story that I want to focus on today. In the first paragraph, it says that he was found in the morning by a patrol of his fathers. So point number one that I want to look at is this idea of being found by the father's patrol. The prince was found in the morning because all virtuous knights of the father's kingdom are men of the light and day and not the midnight hour, as we saw in the last episode. This reminds me of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, that says, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Hey, prince, yes, you are wounded, but the patrols of the Father's kingdom are out searching for you. The Father's always looking for his wayward and wounded sons. The father sends his knights out into the wilds to seek and save the sons who have impaled themselves in the midnight hours. If you remember from the last episode, we discussed the activity in the story that particularly was highlighted as happening in the midnight hour. Jude chapter 1 verses 22 through 23 says, Have mercy on those who doubt or are undecided. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. 
And in that verse, that idea of garment stained by the flesh is that inner garment, like our underwear or whatever's closest to our most intimate self being stained by the flesh. Maybe you're listening and you're being compelled to search for sons. You're a knight of the father, a legionnaire of light, so to speak, a son of the day whose spirit is often stirred with compassion and courage from the father to leave the castles and search for his sons. What's stopping you? Band together with a group of other knights of the father's kingdom and get to work. It's, it's your part to play. This is the idea that, you know, in this story of um, these men that are searching for the sons, that, that in a lot of ways reflects even our own group here. Men that gather sons of the father looking for other men who are um, not, you know, not inside the castle that have left the castle that are maybe wounded, so to speak, as in a relationship to this story. And maybe you're not the wounded son, but you are the knight. You're the, the son that's sent to seek and find the wounded son. How many men do you know right now in your life that are uh, kind of like this prince that are isolated, they're wounded, they've impaled themselves, they need rescue. That's the first thought that I uh, really resonated with when I was reading this. And I can really, you know, I've seen men in our group and men that I've worked with that are uh, kind of like these knights, that are the, the kind of men that are always looking for other men, and looking to gather, looking to rescue, looking to come alongside, looking to reach out. And I hope that as men, there is that part of us as men that that has that constant um, sentness from the Father to seek out sons and princes who have impaled themselves that are wounded. Second point is kind of like last week where we discussed the wound, but the wood the the wound that will not heal. Uh, you know, nothing's more tragic than a son whose wound won't heal. The seriousness of the wounds that men bear in their inner lives calls for building, like we're trying, multi-generational clans or circles of community that will welcome the wounded. Our quote-unquote castles should be full of physicians who have the wisdom of wars. They know how to attend to the real issues that men are facing and carrying with inside themselves. You know, wounds are a part of war. I don't know if we could call it a war if nobody was wounded. Wounds are just the natural result of war. So if we call men to fight for what matters in their life, uh, in their spiritual life and godliness, there's going to be carnage. A wounded man is a man who's left the safety of the castle and is seeking to become more than he was as just a son in safety. And the result of that is you get wounded. All great endeavors, every act of courage, every attempt you make in some capacity, whenever you as a man risk in in some way to do something that you haven't done or to reach forward and accomplish something, you are going to feel the impact of that. And often that results in some form of wound uh, as, as a part of that process. But wisdom teaches us that our wounds can instruct us about ourselves 
And they can also, our wounds can also instruct us or bring insight to us and wisdom about the wounds of our fathers. Uh, To be wounded is a profound experience that God uses to, to, to teach us about ourselves and about others. And I'm reminded of Robert Bly, a voice from previous um, decades that were really focused on men's, one of the fathers of the men's movement in the U.S., Um, not necessarily a voice that's coming from the Christian or the religious uh, corner of the men's movement, but still a wise man in a lot of things that he said. He had a quote about wounds. It says, Among a man's job is to reclaim his own grief. When a man has reclaimed his grief and investigated his wound, he may find that they resembled the grief and the wound his father had. And the reclaiming puts him in touch with his father's soul. Once his senses are sharpened, he will be able to smell the father's wound. One could say that the son smells his father as one smells a serpent who sheds skins and lives. That's from Robert Bly in Iron John, one of his books. So I guess the question is, what are you doing with your wound? In the next paragraph, it says that he was bound to his court and castle, immersed in the constant arguments and negotiations and courtly conversations with the business and government and men and women who came and went in the court. Number three, bound to his court and castle. Many men are bound to the court and castle. They're immersed, as it said in that passage, or that paragraph, in duties and demands that have been sucking their soul right out of them. Maybe your life has become, quote, filled with business, and you've lost the ability to find, as the story says, solitude. There's a definite line, though, between fulfilling your God-given responsibilities as a man and having the world squeeze you into a mold that leaves you exhausted and frustrated and driven by a thousand other voices than the voice of your God or the voice of your soul. And this is true for the Christian man, too. Many men have lost the Lord of the work in the work of the Lord. It's weird how it's easier to deal with others than it is to deal with ourselves. We attend often to the immediate in order to sidestep the eternal. Henry David Thoreau wrote about it, and he put it this way, the classic quote that many people know, but I think fits perfectly in this discussion here. He said, The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. From the desperate cry or from the desperate city, you go into the desperate country and have to console yourself with the bravery of minks and muskrats. A stereotyped but unconscious despair is concealed even under what is called the games and amusements of mankind. Love that last line. A stereotyped but unconscious despair is concealed even under what are called the, quote, games and amusements of of mankind. That's, That's saying that even in all the distractions and the entertainments and the things that men fill their lives with to, to hide that quiet desperation, 
even under that, you can hear that unconscious uh, despair. Are you leading a life of quiet desperation? Have you resigned to desperation? Is there a despair underneath all your games and amusements? It's an important thing to really think about. Are you running from something? Are you running from yourself, from your soul, running from God, running from your wife or your children or your duties or your desires? What is your quiet desperation in this season of your life? In the next paragraph, it says, after uh, several years, um, after his aging father stepped down, the prince became king, but his wound still would not heal. And then this line, and his strength evaporated with his inactivity. His strength evaporated with his inactivity. Inactivity steals your strength. When one is left to drift instead of being focused and driven towards a vision, mission, or mandate, you can see the strength of the soul drain out in time. Many men are listless and lame, unmotivated, sourly content to just get by with the day-to-day duties that require just enough but never test the depths of one's true piety, purpose, or power. We're like Samson. We're Samson shorn. Having laid in the lap of Delilah, we are unaware that the locks of our strengths have been cut. What is sapping your strength today? Is it despair, disillusionment, disappointment, failure, fear, exhaustion? When was the last time you felt the Lord's power performing within you? When did you lose the fight? When did the eye of the tiger get gouged out of your manhood? Where is the fire in your belly? The resurrected Lord of the book of Revelation laid the searching charge upon his drifting people of Ephesus when he said that they had left their first love. So the question that I would ask you is, what is your first love? The next line in that paragraph is that it seemed that the curse visited upon the king had also fallen upon the land. So the fifth thing I wanted to focus on is that the curse not only falls upon you, but it falls upon the land or that which you have authority or dominion or responsibility to care for. Every curse is seeking to spread from the heart to the heartland. Jesus himself said that the enemy of men's souls comes to steal, to kill, and destroy in John 10.10. This battle that you're in, it's not just about you. It's about the generations meant to come through you or the sons and daughters of the Father that are not going to be saved from the fire because your fight and your fire was snuffed out. Look around you. Do you see fertility? or barrenness? Is life taking root? Are things being born? Do you sense the virtue and virility of your soul thriving, or do you see disease and decimation of a sick and worn-out life? In that paragraph, it talked about crops stopped growing, disease decimated great herds of sheep and goats. The cattle wouldn't even breed. 
and the wildlife disappeared. This is a picture of the state of the soul, the state of life I'm talking about, where you look around and there's no life, but you just see death. And I'm not just talking physical death. I'm just talking the ending of things, that that nothing is being born. When's the last time you had you you had something birthed in your soul and your mind, something birthed in your heart that produced power, produced purpose, produced a desire to change and to do and to grow. This is this is a, a serious thing that the son with the wound under that curse of an unhealed wound sees that wound and its influence spread out from himself onto his wife or his his children or his his business or into his church. A sick person spreads their sickness. And a sick soul is in need of healing or it will spread this curse. The last thing that, uh, last couple things I want to talk about in the, in the paragraph was the time that he spent fishing. It says there in that last paragraph that the only activity that seemed to give the king peace was time he spent fishing in the lakes and streams close to his castle. What activity renews and revitalizes and reanimates you? What do you do? Where do you go? Who do you visit to come back to life? Where is your joy found? Have you attended the needs of your own heart? Have you nourished the hunger of your mind? Are the needs of your spiritual life being nourished and strengthened? When's the last time you fully feasted and truly felt full? full in the deepest sense of satisfaction, of desire. What is your fishing? Where do you go where you find peace? Have you visited those places? The last paragraph that has something in it that I wanted to focus on, it says, With the coronation of the wounded king, the kingdom seemed to pass into some other dimension. It seemed insubstantial, the castle seeming to float, mist-like above the land, disconnected from the earth. Disconnected from the earth is the seventh thing I wanted to focus on in closing here. This is a dimension of being, a state of the soul, a manner of the mind that can become dangerously detached from the things that truly matter. Too many men have succumbed to a, quote-unquote, disconnected life. They've gotten lost in the mist of mindless pursuits, distracting and damning desires, and nobody seeking them can truly find the way to their heart again. Many marriages die here. Children lose their fathers in the mist. Dreams suffocate in the clouds of this no-land realm. Faith without feet on the earth becomes useless, and many a saint has been corrupted by a kingdomless life and the wound that never heals. You feel disconnected, discombobulated, to use a great word. Do you feel like your life has no connected sense, no wholeness, no sense of meaning? that you are a disconnected self. You are separate from the parts of you that are deep and meaningful. 
people don't understand you. You have a hard time being able to communicate what you want. One of the most profound questions that Jesus often would ask people in the Gospels, meaningful moments that were recorded where he asked them specifically, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? That question penetrates through all the just games that we play. It gets to the throat of our desire. What do you want? What do you want to ask God for? What would you come before the God of the universe, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ask of him? These are not trite requests, but a want that is supposed to cut through all the meaninglessness of life and get to the core of your soul as a man. What is it that you want? What calls you? What pulls you forward? What gets you up? What keeps you on your feet? What keeps you in the fight? What is it you're after? What is it that enrages you? What brings passion and power to you? What awakens you? What stirs a fire and a and a hunger in your blood? Are you connected with the very desires that God has placed within you, those things that are, are so easily forgotten that he calls his gifts of his spirit, spirit-bestowed abilities and purposes, spirit-giving motivations, spirit-given dreams and visions, spirit-given communication and languages, the ability to say things that need to be said in time from eternity. God, by his spirit, speaks realities into the soul of men, and it's our job to in, to, to investigate and invest in discovering the gifts that God has given us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has created you as the distinct image bearer of himself in the earth, why would you spend your time on meaningless things, hanging around people that have no motivations or vision to see the realities of what I'm speaking about? Why would you waste your life in circles of entertainment and meaningless pursuits when God has put something in you from eternity. And that is one of the main reasons he's created you, to show his glory by being the person he created you to be. It's a high calling. Prince of the Father, you were born for greater things. This is not your destiny that you're on. Heed the warning signs and awaken from the slumber. It's time to fight for the ground that God's given you. Reclaim your inheritance. Reconnect your feet to the ground. You are man, flesh, and spirit, a being of both worlds. You were born from the womb and born from above. You are a man, the image bearer, a true son of the Father. 